Young Maxwell. Yes. When you have a reunion, someone comes to visit you from another country and you need a good meal, mm. a nice glass of wine, perhaps mm. half off during happy hour, mm. maybe a nice patio. Mm. There's only one choice since you don't know where to go. I'm going to tell you. Please. It's the handlebar. I love the handlebar. You do? The one thing you didn't mention is their seven-day-a-week happy hour from two to six where you get a dollar off all of their – all and any of their 28 draft beers. Please don't try all of them. Well – 28 I, pints is too much. Well, you can try – but they also do samplers, which I think True. is pretty great. You so don't get a dollar off those, though. You – Probably don't. You're right. But still, (laughs) a great selection nonetheless. Um, For example, I know for a fact when I go there, Trumer is going to be on draft. Mm -hmm. There's a few staples. You can always get a very particular beer, but they also have an incredible rotating lineup. Pretty much something for any and every beer drinker, I would say. That's it. If you've never been, they're located at 2070 East 20th Street on the south end of town, kind of by Winco, kind of by Best Buy. You should definitely check them out if you haven't. And if you have, I don't need to be be telling you this, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Go support The Handlebar, a wonderful local business. And uh, here's the show. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema. This is a podcast about the worlds of craft beer and movies where each and every week we tell you what maybe you should be watching, what you should be drinking, sometimes what you shouldn't be watching or drinking. And that's kind of the gist of the show. I am Max Minardi. Johnny Summers reporting for duty. This week, our review of A Haunting in Venice, an adaptation of an Agatha Christie murder mystery novel directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh reprising his role as world-famous detective Hercule Poirot. Johnny and I caught up with it, and we'll have a review for you later in the show. But for now, Johnny is going to tell you what we're drinking this week. Yeah, man. We're drinking beers from Fort George Brewing. They're out of Astoria, Oregon, which is where The Goonies was filmed. Nice, dude. Good. Great trivia to start the show off. Uh, Beer number one is three-way IPA. It is the... 2023 Hazy Chico. Not a reference to this town. Okay. We'll get to that in the beer description. It's a 7% Hazy IPA. And beer number two is their flagship IPA called Vortex, and it is 7.2%. To find episodes of this here show going way back to 2016 when it all started, go search Fresh Hop Cinema on Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the Apple Podcasts, all the major platforms. If you like the show, please take five seconds and leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to let us know you did. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Free beer to the next person in Chico that does that because we haven't had one in a while. That's a good point. And, so I, and I'm then sh- I'm shouting people, it, calling okay. you out. If we're doing that, what you should do to – because sometimes with Apple Podcasts, what will happen is you'll post it. You'll be like, submit, five stars, and it won't show up because it takes like a day for their service to process. Yeah. So what I recommend is take a screenshot before you submit it, send it to us. And we'll take you at your word that you actually hit submit. And no, yeah. I want receipts from Apple Podcasts. Well, you're going to have to wait a couple extra days, yeah. but fair enough. Yep. Let us know if you do it, and then we'll, we'll hook you up with a special treat from from our... our The seller of despair. Correct. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's been a long time. We need some reviews. I, I haven't checked in a while. Like, we might have... We'll say we haven't gotten yeah, it. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> and if, should... if I happen to find some extras, I'll reach out to those people. We should check that. Anyways, please do that. And if you do, you should text us to brag and also to claim your prize. That's a good way to to get in touch is text us, 530-433-0839. Save that number in your phone. The podcast number is 530-433-0839. You're going to hang out with us on social media? You should. You should search Fresh Hop Cinema on Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd, or Untapped sometimes, or just head over to the website, Fresh Hop Cinema. Speaking of websites, let's talk about Patreon. That is how we keep 
well, at least one of the avenues via which we keep the show running. It's a crowdfunding sort of platform where you can give us money on an episodic basis, anywhere from a dollar to $10 per episode. Technically, there is no limit, but that's where we have our tiers structured. So you can join. You can go to patreon.com slash Cinema to find out a lot more. We have things like bonus episodes. We have super secret events. Big shout out to the people that came to our September bar hang. We also will have, by the time you hear this, announced our October bar hang, which will be on Monday, October 9th. There will be more information in your Patreon feed in our Patreon-exclusive Facebook group. And I think that is all the Patreon stuff we need to talk about. I'm going to double-check make sure I'm nope. not missing any birthdays. Nope. We have a new patron. Oh, nice, dude. Great. Brian Gonzalez, welcome to Patreon. What's up, dog? Didn't put it in the notes, so I forgot to say it. I put it in the notes. You did? Oh, it must be in the other notes. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring it over to the non-radio version. Brian, welcome. Thanks for joining. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing you, hopefully, at some events. And we appreciate the support very much. Thank you so much, man. That's right. Now are we good? I think we are. Okay. Johnny, would you please fish out beer number one? Okay, beer one is in front of us now in our glasses. Johnny Summers, I know we just said it at the top of the show, but um, for me and for people with short-term memory loss, what is beer number one? Beer number one is three-way IPA Hazy Chico from Fort George Brewing out of Astoria, Oregon. It's an 8% hazy IPA, and this was gifted to us by a longtime friend of the show Mm -hmm. and patron, Lori. Nice. And Andy. Yeah, great. Yeah, they're, well, thanks, they're, they're a beer power couple, aren't they? It's really great. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they knew I'd be into it, and they were right. Great. Uh, if, how familiar are you with Fort George or the three-way IPA, anything like that? Fort George a little bit. I've had a couple of their beers. I drove through Oregon, I want to say last March, and stopped at a tap room that for it wasn't in Astoria, but had a bunch of their beers on. I tried two or three. That's about it. Okay. They're pretty widely known for three-way IPA. Mm -hmm. I've had it in Oregon from shops, and then I've also had it – I ordered some on Tavor. Okay. I forgot that website exists. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Um, But they do it every year. It's always a collaboration with three breweries. They're always different. Uh, So it's a – that's why they call it three-way. Sure. Uh, And it's usually an IPA of the West Coast variety. This year, they did three versions. Uh, I think there's – I can't remember. I'll look it up. Doesn't matter. There's okay. three different ones. So we got the Hazy Chico one. I believe this was probably gifted to Andy and Lori because of Makes sense. the name. So I will read a little bit about the beer. In ancient times, rituals and rites marked the passing of the seasons. At Fort George, we adhere to the ancient ways. We mark the beginning of summer each year with a three-way IPA, our most popular, most loved summer seasonal. Three-way IPA, Hazy Chico, blue, uh, that's the can color. color I think can, they yeah. broke it down like that. Is the third release of Three Way IPA in 2023. Brewed with Hazy Chico yeast, the third iteration of Three Way IPA 2023 leads with dank tropical aromatics and ends in smooth, perfectly resippable bitterness. The brewers at Fort George Cellar Maker Brewing and Anchorage Brewing mm. spent months sifting through their extensive IPA style archives to formulate the perfect West Coast recipe. We couldn't settle for just one style, so we present Three Way, Three Ways, available all over the Pacific Northwest all summer long. Uh, and to the brewer's notes, they get really into it, so oh, cool. we'll, we'll go into this. Uh, Three Way IPA is a yearly summer IPA collaboration p- between Fort George and two other breweries we admire. I think we got that. Uh, three Way IPA 2023 version 3, the one we're drinking, features New Zealand Cascade, or NZ Cascade. I'm assuming that's what that means. Yeah. Uh, Strata, Citra, and HBC 586, which 
which is an experimental hop. Uh, we have GW Row 2 malts, Rar Pills malts, Gambrinus rye malts, GM flaked wheat, Wireman acidulated yeast, and Hazy Chico. I'm sorry, Wireman acidulated malt. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And the yeast is Hazy Chico, which is pretty cool. That is, I don't... I really wish I knew more about yeast profiles. I wonder if they like stole that from Sierra Nevada. Like, this is just the yeast strain from Hazy Little Thing. Like, who, what are we doing? Who here? are we just talking to? And I don't even have this fully in my memory, but I vaguely recall a conversation about a. Was this just last night? Is that what I'm thinking? Of? The yeast that eats hops or whatever? The GMO yeast, yeah. Is that what that was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't, I have no idea. Never heard of it except for last night when yeah. uh, shout out Sherry brought it up. Yeah. Um, I made it sound like that was her name. Shout out Sherry. <laughs> oh, shout out, Sherry. shout outs. Um, no, but like I want to know more about yeast and and you know the different flavors it can impart on beer. And I mean, I know that beers use different yeast, but I couldn't list six of them. Probably couldn't even list four. Let's not put me to the test. There's a yeah. There's one. There's one. You got one in your sure. book. Um. So you've had this beer before. I've had versions of versions it. of it, yes. Course. This is your first time trying this one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. How fresh was this can? I assume. Fairly fresh. Yeah, very. I think it was late July. Right. Okay. At yeah. the time of this recording, we're sort of in mid-September. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. I'm excited to hear your thoughts because it's a hazy IPA, mm-hmm. and I want to know if there's enough bitterness for you to enjoy what could potentially be too sweet. But they seem to be very into pushing the the bitter, danky aspects of this, at least in what you read me. So mm-hmm. what do you think? First this impressions. Fantastic. Great. It is really beautifully hoppy, and it just tastes so fresh. Like, you can tell this beer is still in its prime. It's a beautiful thing, man, when you just get that lovely, crispy, biting hoppiness. And then there's there's those notes of the East Coast, but they're in the background. Mm-hmm. I would say they they take second fiddle to the hops, definitely. It is punchy. It's it's biting. It's very upfront. I would say aggressively hoppy, which I, I really like. Yeah, it, and, it is that for sure. And it's got just the tiniest little touch of juice. This is way more West Coast IPA than Hazy IPA. I don't think that. I think it's definitely aggressively hoppy. Yeah. There's a really, a really, really intense biting, not acidity necessarily, but maybe it's maybe I could chalk it up to a hot punch, but that sits really heavy on the back of the throat, like you would get in a very strong, sweet, hazy New England. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of some of these New England IPAs that are clocking in around eight, nine percent, like a double, yeah, for sure. Yep. Which I think is technically is what this is, right? We're talking eight percent here, uh, and I, I, depending on how you people go back and forth on this, but I, you know, generally speaking, if it's above eight percent, it's typically going to be a, a double IPA. Yeah, whether or not that's strictly speaking just the ABV or the amount of hops used, they tend to go hand in hand. And what I'm getting on the back end is that intense punch that I often find in those stronger New England IPAs, which Mm -hmm. is not a flavor that I enjoy having linger. I do like what I'm getting initially. I don't know that I love this or think that it's great, but I think it's good after my first drink. I don't know where you got 8%. This is only 7. I got it from the notes. I got it from the notes. Hmm. So my mistake, I will uh, actually credit where credit is due and discredit where discredit is due. Your mistake. I didn't write that, but fair enough. Uh, I just changed it back to 7. But I copied it over. But it is only 7%? Yeah. All right. Uh, All the more confusing to me then because it seemed at least on par for something that was pretty strong. Yeah, I just put up the website because I'm like, 8% doesn't sound Mm -hmm. right. It does kind of taste right to me, which is why I didn't question it. There's a a strength here that that belies a a deeper sea of alcohol. It's got a a big body too. It totally does. Very thick drinking. It's it's not – yeah, it's not a quaffable drink necessarily. They they coined their own word in their description, which was – 
recipable bitterness. <laughs> Two words there, but they said recipable and sure. I guess to some extent, any beer is you can sip it twice. Mm -hmm. This doesn't necessarily make me want to go back for another sip. Okay, uh, which I you know I think is probably, regardless of how you rate beers, that's probably a universally shared barometer for people. Mm -hmm. You want to go back and have a second drink if it's a good beer. And I think if you don't have that desire, probably docks a couple points. Yeah, your glass is empty. Yeah, I didn't pour very much. It's true. I'm not drinking super heavy this week, but. It's gone. Mm -hmm. You enjoy this a lot. I enjoy it more than you for sure. True. Also, I think I'm still trying to kind of like figure it out. Mm. It's, it. I do like the hoppiness, but it does sit heavy and it, it goes from like kind of a bright hoppiness to a, a muddled bitterness, yes, I would say. It totally does. And like man. the back of the tongue, like almost immediately. Like it goes from tasting good to having a bad aftertaste. Yeah, like, that's what, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Quickly. It's, it's, it's the, f the experience. The experience, it's the equivalent of having a New England IPA that has all that sediment and you get the bottom of the can. Mm. It's that kind of I did store it on its swampy, side. like textural sort of yeah, body to it or mouthfeel or whatever word you might use. But there's something that lingers that isn't, I don't think, purely flavor. There's mm. there's a there's a weight to it. Yeah. That I would chalk up in any other circumstance to sediment. And I'm not I don't know. We haven't really talked about what's in our glass, but yeah, well, and I did transport it and store it on its side, so yeah. any agitation would have well, you know, definitely happened. Yeah, take a look at mine here. I do have a little bit of what I would call, there's little white flecks oh, yeah. that are a little bit more than you would see, and certainly, obviously, like a West Coast, but even some hazy IPAs, this is this is very much on the, the extreme hazy side. There's, mm -hmm. I mean, it's dark, yep. holding up to the light. You're not getting through that. Mm -hmm. Very thick beer, um, and pretty aggressive, you know, and maybe people who love those extremes would love it. I definitely don't love it. I'm on the border of liking it or not. So I'm going to take one more drink and then I'll probably have a rating for you. Do you have anything we haven't talked about that is worth mentioning? Um, the can is beautiful. It's this great, like, baby blue uh, koi fish. You know, it's a mm. baby blue water swirls with a koi fish, like, really artistically represented. There's another little koi fish with headphones on. And there's a few people having a party because there's a DJ booth on the back of this giant koi fish where there looks like one, two, three, four, five people uh -huh. just rocking out. Sure. It's a fun can. Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah, I've got it. Yeah. You know, we could, we gave away the can. We gave it to our podcast intern, mm -hmm. but um, I'm looking at it on the screen now. Yeah. What a fun time. Is that the right can? Mm, just go to their website. It's got the most well, I don't accurate. want to use everybody's time right now, but yeah. uh, if I can find it in just a couple seconds here. Yeah, yes, I am of the legal drinking age. I don't want to join your email list. This is too many things. Uh, and there's no picture of it here. Oh. well, when you There's one. Yep. Yeah, okay. I see it. Yeah. That's fine. It's That's nice. Cool. I like it. It's a nice shade of blue. I also appreciate seeing all three of these next to each other, all three iterations, because, of course, if you see them side by side, one is blue, you would call it blue, and then you'd be like, the purple one, the mm -hmm. green one. Yep. It's quicker than reading probably what's on the can. Exactly. So there was a tropical hazy one and a West Coast one as well as the just regular hazy one. Right. Would have been fun to try all of them. That would have been fun. Yeah. Oh, well. We don't look gift beer in the mouth. No, we don't. We do put it in our mouth. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's time to give it a rating. Yeah. We take your gifts and then we judge them. I guess that's exactly... We're absolutely looking at gift beer. Of course we mouth. are. Every gift beer we do, we look it right in the mouth and then we, yeah. That's a terrible analogy. You don't use. say it on the podcast very often or we would have figured this out before. I'm going to stop yeah. immediately. Yeah. Max, do you have an out of 10? Yeah, it's a four. Wow. Yeah, it's below average. I don't probably, I'll, I'll finish the little, I also didn't pour a lot in my glass. Probably 
you know, three ounces total. I do feel bad for our podcast intern who's going to get the dregs of that can because I bet you. In fact, we'll probably check before, while we're playing the trailer. We'll go. We'll see what's the bottom of that can because I bet you, like the bottom of the ocean where that koi fish is swimming, there is some sediment. I bet he liked it. Oh, I'm sure he liked it. Yeah, yeah. totally. He yeah, he's not the most critical of uh, when it comes to disliking things. Yeah, he's just like, no, it's good, pretty good. Yeah. Four. Wow. I think yeah, I four. I definitely like it more than you. I think the goods outweigh the bads for me. Mm-hmm. It's not stellar, uh, but it is solid. I would drink it again. I would drink a whole can. I, I don't actively dislike it in any way. I like the aggression. I think it definitely gets into bad aftertaste pretty quickly. But Immediately. You're, but you're drinking beer. Like beer, all beer to no, one degree or another. No. All beer to one degree or another doesn't have a great aftertaste. Any beer in the world, right? What does have a good aftertaste besides maybe mouthwash? Hmm. Peppermint schnapps. Sure. Mint, I think we universally will say has a good aftertaste. Yeah. But I think what you're saying is no matter what, beer will have an aftertaste. Yeah. But not every aftertaste will leave you disliking it. Or just you know be so immediately noticeable. Right. So I, in that sense, this is not like every other beer. Because some beer I drink and they're like, oh, the beer's gone. Great. But I'm not actually like what I'm doing now, which is like... Ugh, like it's just like so I can intense. still taste it. Same. I and it's not a good taste. Yeah. So yeah, that definitely holds it back, I think, from rating super high. It's a it's like a six one for me. Can we get into this? Why why is it not a six even or a six point two, for example? You don't give out even numbers. It would be a five nine or a six one. Why not six you mean even numbers or do you mean round numbers? Could know. it be a six point two? Yeah. Why is it not a six point two? Because it wasn't a six point two. It's not that's a non answer, but that's yeah. fine. I am curious sometimes about your ratings because like <laughs> You have it down to a 1,000-point a rating system? Yeah, I just feel it, man. Or There's... I'm sorry, it's a 100-point rating system. Yeah. But I wonder, like, if we went back and... Yeah, and, 61 out of 100. Yeah, compared to your scores, like, if, if I took, you know, the f- 40 beers that you've given between a 5.5 and a 6.5, if you blind-tasted all them again, if somehow we could control this, if they would, if they would fall in the same ranking order, or if it's like... I, I wonder how many decimal points in your system are arbitrary. Like, there's clearly going to be a difference between a 5.1 and a 6.1. Mm-hmm. But, like, I wonder what the measurable difference is for you between a 5.5 and a 5.8. A lot of that comes down to feel. But is that feeling consistent? Can you use that as a as a reliably repeatable ranking system to go back and look at these beers years later and be like, this is how much better that one was? Yeah, I think it's all – rating is so subjective to set and setting. I think it's all in the moment. Oh, it's part of the experience. Yeah. Interesting. Like, you rate – I mean, so much goes into a rating. Mm-hmm. Like I probably mm-hmm. like this beer more than I would have two weeks ago because I haven't had any alcohol since last Thursday. Oh yeah, sure. Right. So there's that factor of like uh-huh. it's beer and I like sure, beer. Sure, sure. So, but also it's not like an automatic nine point five just because I haven't had a beer since last Thursday. So there's does that go the other way too? If you're over inundated with too much beer, are you more likely to give it a lower rating, or or you could spin that positive and be like more more critical because you're more tuned into that? I think the second would be true. If I've been trying a lot of different beers, mm-hmm. I think especially different good beers, mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, it becomes harder to be impressed. Sure, is it in addition to being uh, hard to be impressed? Is it easier to be cr- cr- not critical um, in terms of like? really analyze but like negative oh yeah the larger the sample size the more you see inequity yeah so like bad beers stand out so much more when you have a large and recent sample size yeah but i guess what we're saying like good beers would seem better and bad beers would seem worse but is it possible that good beers could seem worse 
if you've had too many of them, even if they're not actually bad beers. You're just sick of beer. Is that possible? That is. Oh, yeah. I've gotten beard out before many like times. Movies, too, could go that way. But I, when it comes to movies, more so than beer for me, for whatever reason, I tend to be more objective. And maybe that's because there's more of the craft apparent as you're watching a movie versus drinking the beer. Like if we were able to review a beer from inception of recipe to the brewing process, to the canning, to the, to the label design, then to the drinking. And that's not where we're at with movies, but at least you get to see like actors acting. You get to see the set design and all that. And it feels more easy to be objective about a movie experience than a beer. Yeah. I think with a, with a film, more of your senses are involved in the consumption of it. I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe yeah. not more, but different, yeah. you know, you're engaging your sense of sound, mm -hmm. you know, your hearing and your, your visuals. Yeah. More senses wasn't the right way to put that. But it's engaging yeah. in a different way because really with a beer you have smell and you have um you, you've got you all know, five I mean flavor. to some extent you've got you got the visuals of it. You get to see right. what the beer looks like, what the label looks like, you smell it, you taste it. Um, you know, you there's texture, there's feeling, there's there's touching with your mouth, kind mm -hmm. of. Um well, mouth feels a big totally scale. Did I miss one? Smell, touch, sight. I'm missing two right now. Or or three, depending on how you count. Oh yeah, you can hear a beer. I yeah, guess. I don't. Kind of, yeah. Okay, maybe. Yeah, maybe that's the one. Yeah, uh, they're still missing one. But. I mean, I think it's the immediate apparency of choices. Like there, it's very obvious in a movie mm -hmm. that there's certain choices were made, mm -hmm. and like you can appreciate them visually immediately. Yeah, um, and those choices are probably easier to understand. Whereas we don't know as much about the actual craftsmanship of beer. So sure, maybe like sure. certain choices, like what yeast to use and stuff might not be as understood. So therefore we just interpret yeah, yeah. it through the lens of does this taste good or does this taste bad? This opens a nice can of worms that is probably too big for this conversation right now, but it's the idea of... We're not on the radio. This can be no, as I know. Big as we but, want. Um, the, like the idea of things that are more obvious to people who are less experienced, giving the impression of being more appealing. And so, so like if you find a beer and, and like the label of the beer is just, let's say it's, it's some sort of like smoothie sour and it's got Mario on the front, the mm -hmm. video game Mario, and they name it something clever and it comes out and it's like bright neon red. That's going to catch people's attention mm -hmm. in a similar versus something where like you have a trumer, Pilsner, which is a much more subtle beer. And I think the the ability to pick that beer apart, or rather the amount of people who have the ability to pick that apart is a smaller group of people because it's a more subtle beer. And the same can apply to movies. You you ask anybody on the street, name like name a a, a big boisterous popular director. And I think like a good amount of people will say something like Michael Quentin, Bay or Quentin Tarantino is yeah. where I was gonna go. But and people fall back on him being their favorite director, partially because in sort of the the blockbuster movie zeitgeist, he stands out a lot. But I would wonder what people would think about like a Barry Jenkins, like a Moonlight, which is a much more subtle movie. But if you compare the craft, and they're, they're so different, so it's hard to really compare them exactly, but the appreciation of subtlety makes this fun for me. And because it, it forces us to dig a little bit deeper to look for things which is why I was getting back to talking about like yeast. Like I want to understand more of that mm -hmm. so that, you know, if I, I can say something more than, oh, I just don't like it. I want to be like, here's what I think could have been better. Yeah. Not just for me, but objectively and for me. 
not sure exactly how I'm tying that all together, but I, I think, think it's a general theme we're talking the about. The general idea, I think what you're trying to say is that the larger the sample size you have, the more you appreciate small improvements and nuance that is uh, delicious. That's definitely Whether part of it. it's cinematic yeah. or yeah. beverage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a huge part of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Well, then I, I suppose I'll have to say this is a 6.1 for you. It's a four for me. I stand by that 6.1. Three-way IPA, the Hazy Chico, the blue can from Fort George out of Astoria, Oregon. I think that's all we've got on this. So in case you've forgotten, once again, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema. Uh, If you've tried this beer, if Andy and Lori gave you a can, or if you live in Astoria, Oregon, or if you're a Goonie and you drink it, let us know. We want to know what you thought. Um, If you agree with us, for sure, you'll get a high five from us. And if you disagree, just, you know, pose a strongly worded argument in your text message to us. You can text us. That number is 530-433-0839. Or if you're old school and you know you're sending to iPhones and you're an Android and you're going to run out of letters on your SMS, you can just send us an email with unlimited characters, fhccast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, help us out. Like Johnny said earlier, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please. Yeah, it only takes a couple seconds. It's definitely a huge, huge help in helping get our show in front of new potential listeners. What's next, you ask? It's a trailer for A Haunting in Venice. Let's get spooky. If you haven't seen it, do not worry. There's no spoilers in our next segment, so don't go anywhere. Hercule Poirot, I've found something. I've looked at it from every which way. I am the smartest person I ever met, and I can't figure it out, so I came to the second. You are up to something, my friend. I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. I do not believe in psychics. Come with me to a seance. Spot the con I can't. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. All I have to hear my daughter's voice. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Listening. Mama? Felicia? What is happening? until I know who did it. A ghost killed her. There must be a rational answer for all of this. Just admit that you are up against something bigger than you. No! You were saying... Something in this house tried to kill me. Don't look at me like I'm a suspect. We're old friends. Every murderer is somebody's old friend. No one shall leave until I find if the living have been killed by the dead. You have been hiding here all this time. Who are you talking to? Again, that was a trailer for A Haunting in Venice. I stole this from 
The internet. Yeah, the internet somewhere. Now retired and living in self-imposed exile in the world's most glamorous city. That's Venice, apparently. Uh, Perot reluctantly attends a seance at a decaying haunted palazzo. He soon gets thrust into a sinister world of shadows and secrets when one of the guests is murdered. This was directed by Kenneth Branagh. It also stars Kenneth Branagh with a screenplay by Michael Green. This was adapted from an Agatha Christie uh, 1969 novel called Halloween Party. It also stars Kelly Riley, who you might know from Yellowstone. She plays Rowena Drake. She is the mother of the murdered girl for which the seance is taking place named Alicia. The person holding the seance is Joyce Reynolds, played by Michelle Yeoh. We also have Tina Fey here, uh, which I mistakenly wrote as Tina Hey, um, who plays Ariadne Oliver. She is an author who I assume has appeared somewhere in the previous two films from this franchise beginning in 2017, I think. Uh, she's a writer. She put this detective into her stories. Her name is also Ariadne, which, um, you know, is a little on the nose for somebody who weaves tales of murder. Whatever. Came to theaters September 15th. It's an hour and 43 minutes long. Why is that on the nose? Ariadne is an old, um, I want to say Greek mythology character who her thing was that she, I think, was turned into a spider or on Earth as a human was um, she worked a loom and she challenged one of the gods that she could like weave better than them and then lost and I think was turned into a spider as a result. So she's an author here and she's weaving these elaborate tales of I just knew she was going to be kind of a dicey character when her name's Ariadne. I'm like, all right, she's slippery. She's dicey. She's, you know. I don't know how many of you are up on your Greek mythology, but that. Everybody knows that this. Ev Fuck Every, you. Everyone knows No. This. Yeah, yeah. No. Since we're at it, Ariadne, like Greek myth. I want to make sure that is what happens to her. Um, well, the fact that you even had an inkling of that, uh, I don't think you should be like, well, sorry, it's obvious. Everybody knows. Come on. Um, okay, here's the, okay, this is the week, the Wikipedia, but. Um, Let's see. She was a Cretan princess and the daughter of King Minos. There are different variations of Ariadne's myth, but she's known for, oh, for helping Theseus escape the Minotaur uh, and then being abandoned by him on the island of Naxos. There, Dionysus saw her sleeping, fell in love with her, later married her. That's not right. I mean, I'm sure that's right, but um, Ariadne is associated with mazes and labyrinths because of her involvement in the myth. Uh, okay, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's not about her weaving anything. You're making up myths, man. I mean, it seemed plausible enough, didn't it? They renaming this show Mythbusters. Myth Makers. Myth Maker. Um, That's your next LP. Well, here's the other thing. No, maybe there's nothing. I could have sworn there was a connection with spiders and webs, but who knows? I guess I'm wrong. I'm wrong for now. I would love to keep digging and see if I'm right, but I don't want to take everybody's time to do it. You don't want to turn this into a Greek mythology podcast? It would be kind of fun. I'm kind of here for that. <laughs> Um, just Google okay, Ari Ariadne spider. Fine, I'll find out real quick. Okay, we've learned everything there is to know now from the internet. Mm -hmm. To clarify, Ariadne used a ball of thread uh, to help Theseus escape the labyrinth. Uh, and I think she did like the breadcrumb thing where she like left the thread at the beginning, helped him find his way back out. She did use thread. Who I was thinking of was Arachne, who challenged one of the goddesses to, uh, you know, a, a sewing contest. Did not go so well. And that was Arachne. Tied in with spiders, webs, of course. That's what I was thinking of with Ariadne Oliver, Tina Hayes character from this movie, which is all to say, Johnny, what did you think of A Haunting in Venice? Well, given my complete and thorough lack of knowledge of the other two movies, I went into this completely blind. So there's no expectations. Have you ever seen the original Murder on the Orient Express? I think it was a Sidney Lumet, Lumet movie, maybe? No. All right. Mm -mm. It's a classic. 
I haven't. Have you I haven't either. No, but it's considered okay. a classic. You said that like we've all seen it. <laughs> no, as we all like, know, Ariadne. Feel like and as we all know, the dismount the your high horse real quick today, sir. Oh, no, I like it. It's a I, classic. It's cool up well, here. How many times have you watched? Yeah, no, it? I've, I've seen clips. There's this famous train scene that's. A, it's great. There's a great little whatever. It's allegedly a classic. Correct. This podcast. It's widely this podcast considered. Hasn't covered it. We've never done it. Doesn't count. Great. Yeah. So, so anyways, there's no expectations. I I'm not familiar. Haven't watched. Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile, the first two films in this trilogy. Mm-hmm. So went in blind, just blank slate. Sure. And it was fun. It was definitely attempting to be like deep and, and plot twisty and very mm-hmm. who it's a it's a whodunit. It's a whodunit, yeah. If you haven't surmised that by now, it is. And uh I really think this movie was at its strongest when it was in its kind of creepy, spooky mm-hmm. moments. I mm-hmm. think those vibes and the atmospheres that that created it was it thrived um there's a lot of mustache to twirl here and the fact that kenneth branagh directed himself into saying we need that accent to be a little bit heavier i love dude i i think i thought it was great by the way <laughs> that is we such talked about a, this yesterday before i saw it that is such a decision man i love his accent because it was up to him he was the director yeah and once you know that you're like oh wow he, yeah, he just went for it. Yeah, it's like it's like Steve Martin in the Pink Panther. Oh yeah, uh, Jacques Clouseau, mm-hmm. which is like so over the top. Yeah, you know, and and this movie makes some takes some big swings and it makes those big decisions and I think for the most part it kind of stands by them. Uh, I don't think it tries to be more than what it set out to be. Uh, I enjoyed it as a murder mystery. It was very reminiscent to me of of newer ones like. Um, Glass Onion and Knives Out. Sure. You know, we have this. What is? Would this be the third wave of mur- murder mysteries? Because you know, you had the 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 Poe era, and then you or sure. not Hitchcock? Maybe you're just counting writing as well, or or film. Well, I went Hitchcock because you know, all of his sure. movies. You know, yeah, yeah. those weren't really whodunits. But if these novels were popular in the '60s, and there was those classic movies about whodunits that came. Same era, sure. There, yeah. There's there's elements of this. I think the resurgence really started with Knives Out, probably. Yeah. Um, at least like the modern day thing. Okay. Is it the second wave or the third wave? I don't know. We'll say second until someone proves me wrong with the third. Sounds great. This this recent wave, love it of of whodunits. They're fun, man. They remind me of reading, you know, the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew yeah, and just the yeah. mystery. And I think we had a little bit of shades of that with Sherlock Holmes. The the yeah. new, newest. The difference, I think, is that Sherlock Holmes stuff is for the. I mean, he's they're not murders all the time. It's like crime thrillers, right? And this is specifically, and so is Knives Out. It's like somebody has died. We're yeah. all trapped in one location, right? How do we figure out who's done it? And we, the audience, are only as far along solving it as the smartest character is. Mm-hmm. So it reminds me of like, and even then, we're sometimes behind him. True. Yeah. Right. Um, very Sherlock Holmes adjacent meets like a game of Clue. Sure. It was fun. I had a good time. It was scary at parts. I got a couple little jump mm-hmm. scares. There's one towards the beginning with the chandelier that really got me. Got me too. Whew, that got me good. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed it. I, I think Kenneth Branagh's whole persona in this movie is so over the top mm-hmm. that you have to kind of love it. Uh, I got on board with it pretty quick. Uh, it took enough twists and turns. It wasn't super predictable. Uh, I don't think, in my opinion. I don't have a ton of experience with the genre, but it was definitely, I don't know. There was some That's, twists. There was also a bit of a, is it a red herring where they give something away? Well, so like, the thing about the genre is 
you do have a ton of experience with it because they're all the same kind of. Right. Like, I mean, it is formulaic, but like they're going to pick a different person to have done it and then they'll explain to you why at the end. Yes. This one's also interesting because it deviates because the past two that you've mentioned, um, Murder on the Orient Express, of course, and then Death on the Nile stick pretty true to the Christie originals. This one deviates a bit and I'm not sure how because I haven't read it. But And you haven't seen the first two. Correct. Uh, correct. Um, how do you know it deviates? I read that. Okay. The internet told me okay. that this one branches off the most. And I'm guessing it's because this incorporates not just the murder mystery, but it it starts going into like the seance kind of demonic stuff, which it brings a fun Scooby-Doo quality to <laughs> the uh, Kenneth Branagh character. That's a great way to put like, it. Because he's like, he's like, he's not, he doesn't believe it, right? So he's, mm -hmm. he's seen so much in his life. He doesn't believe in souls or God or whatever. So his whole thing is, I need to figure out why and how these people are lying to solve what is now an actual murder. Cause somebody does die beyond just the, the daughter having died for the seance. Like somebody else dies. There's a murder. At the so he's seance. like, all right, now I have to actually solve this. But the through line is he's trying to war with himself on like, and as, as are we as the audience, like, is there demonic possession here? Is there, is there stuff going on in this creepy old orphanage or is it a straightforward murder? And I think that aspect makes this really engaging from multiple aspects, including the horror stuff you're talking yeah. about. No, I agree. It yeah. kind of takes you there and asks those questions. And, right, because I don't know either. And you're not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I liked it. I had fun with it. I think it's a good way to kind of segue into spooky movie season. Mm -hmm. uh, and I liked it approximately 6.5. I yeah, think okay. it was above average. It was entertaining. I chuckled. I was scared. I was intrigued. Pretty good. Great. For me, it's a 6. I think it's, you know... Uh, like, yeah, super fun. I, it's an all-star cast. I didn't list even half of who's in this, but the setting's great from what I could tell they shot in Venice or at least a very convincing soundstage. Yeah. If that was a soundstage. The, the dude. previous movie, the death on the Nile got a lot of critiques for using green screens and, and kind of cheap visual effects to kind of elicit, uh, Africa. Mm. And, um, I don't know. So I thought. Visually, this was great. There were some really ambitious shots. There were a ton of wide angles, like Dutch angles that were used to kind of disorient us, which I thought was a nice approach. And the big shots, too. So there's like super wide. Citizen Kane shots. Totally, dude. There's, yeah. this, there's this grand ballroom, which I, for a minute, I was like, is that the, is that the room from Citizen Kane? Right. Because they shoot it from that same corner, and there's like a big fireplace and yeah. whatever. There's one shot in particular that's, I mean, it's not a fisheye, but it's the widest thing I've ever seen. You're in the, the camera's in the corner of a room, like a far corner of a long rectangular room, and it's getting everything, and nothing's distorted. It was a really, really visually engaging shot. I like yep. that a lot. Great. A lot of those shots are fun. The cast is okay. I think some people are wasted. Tina Fey doesn't get to be particularly funny, nor does she get to really prove why she's not being funny. She's not like so dramatically intense. Like she doesn't have a lot of dialogue. Very middle of the road I don't road understand. Character. Yeah, there, there's a couple of laugh lines that, that I think happen between her and Brandon's character. But for the most, like, I think Michelle Yeoh is kind of underutilized, and there's a reason for that. But I don't know. Some people take some emotional swings. We're also talking about um, – oh, uh, I forgot oh, his yeah. name now. The ex-boyfriend? The ex um, Ex-fiance? No, 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 not the not, – Talk uh, about emotional Maxime. swings. Maxime. Jesus. Um, I don't know why – let me look up his name real quick. This is so dumb. Um, but, you know – Casting was okay. I think for the most part, good casting choices. I wish people would have had more specific jobs. Mm -hmm. The kid gave me the creeps. Who From was, by the way, in Belfast as well. Oh, was he? Yeah, with Jamie Dornan, whose name is what I was trying to think of, who plays the kid's dad and was a field or yeah, field medic or something in World War II and has a lot of PTSD from that. There's a lot of like themes that get brought up. 
that go hand in hand with ghost stories sometimes and, and deeper metaphors. Yeah. Like the, all the mental health yeah. stuff. And, and it's, it's great. It's all there. Not a super consequential movie, probably in the history of cinema, no. but still like a fun watch for, for this time of year. Like you said, definitely like, yeah, like fine. first cold weekend of the year with a bowl of chili on the couch, yeah. some rain, a little hot apple cider. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, it's a six for me. It's, you know, nothing. I mean, there were, there were moments that I think it was trying to be serious that I found funny. Yeah. There's a typewriter <laughs> that is used to punctuate, um, literally. And also in the scene drama. Mm-hmm. Like there's one scene where it just jumps to that for almost no reason, just yeah. to, like scary. I was like, ah, okay, yeah. fine, easy. Yeah. Anyways, that's kind of where I'm at on this without getting into spoilers. Inconsequential is a great word. Like, Thank you. Good entertainment, but it's not going to change anyone's life. No, probably not. Do no. you have anything else you want to talk about with this before we start spoiling it? No, I don't think so. All right, then uh, that's your final warning because when we come back from this fun sound, we will be spoiling. Where we feel appropriate, a haunting in Venice. Don't you go anywhere. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Danger zone. Welcome to the danger zone. We now have free reign to spoil the movie if we see fit in the course of our discussion for the purposes of letting you know how we feel about it. Mm-hmm. I don't even care necessarily to spoil the ending, but were you satisfied with how it ended? Medium. Why? It just felt lackluster. Uh, they figured out the mom did it uh-huh. and the, the way it ended with her either jumping or getting pulled, she jumped. Did she? Did she? I don't know. I like that. They, I mean, of course, like it depends on what you believe. Yeah. And it depends on if you think like how strong his psychedelic honey was. Cause maybe he's still tripping off that. Right. But, but he was smart enough to figure out that he was on it. I was getting the impression that it was wearing off. Like it was morning. And that always gives the impression like, ah, we're not high anymore. Good. Yeah. Like things are going to calm down. And then he sees the ghost of the girl pull her down in the water. Mm-hmm. I will. Whoa. I will make the case that she did get pulled by a ghost, and here's why. He sees the ghost pull her over the edge. Mm-hmm. We could chalk that up to hallucinations. But then we, for like one of the only times in the movie, cut away from his perspective, and we see her being dragged into the water by that girl. Mm-hmm. He didn't see that. We are not on hallucinogenic honey. At least I wasn't when I saw it. I wasn't either, unfortunately. So, so we're clear. I think I think that's a case for maybe why. Mm-hmm. Or it's hammering home the metaphor. Maybe. Either way. Yeah, either way it was fine. And then just the fact that like the kid was blackmailing her felt just Yeah. Like that was kind of cheesy. And like he got just a scruff on the head, like, oh, you silly kid. I know. Give the money to the immigrants. But I do want to see the follow-up where he is now the sidekick or the apprentice of Perot. Right. He's like a genius kid who gives you the creeps the whole movie. Yeah. Did he see ghosts? Or no, he was trying to sell his own con, basically, right? That's he's, a good question. He's like telling Perot the whole time, like, you can hear them too, right? They're, some of them are my friends. I see I see dead people, basically, mm-hmm. is what he says. And it makes sense. Like, if he's trying to play into the fact that it's a haunted place and he knows that he's that all the strings are being pulled, maybe. He's pulling them. Right, totally. So maybe he has reason to sell that. But maybe. Uh, I don't know. That was creepy. He was a creepy kid. Like, immediate, like, bad vibes from him. Yeah, did you have the impression that the tea he was given or that something wasn't right from that moment, like in that room? It felt weird to me mm. when she says, I thought my pantries were bare, but I found this. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, that was a little odd. Yeah. You just I don't know. found the honey. It stuck out to me a little bit. Yeah. Um, I thought Michelle Yeoh got killed off way too fast. Like if you, I was surprised by that. Like you get her in a movie mm-hmm. and you give her that. That was it. It was she was on screen for maybe five minutes. That's like the Sean Bean argument in Game of Thrones, though. Like you cast an A-list actor like that in a brand new HBO show, mm-hmm. and you kill him. Yeah, 
that catches people off guard and like really, really sets people like sets off the expectation. Unless you know anything that he's ever been in. Which is to say he dies in pretty much everything. Everything. No, he doesn't. Dude, it's a meme. He doesn't it, die. He's, in... he's notorious. Does he die in National Treasure at the end? I haven't seen all. Does those. he fall down an elevator shaft in a tomb? In I'm like... sure he dies. He's Sean Bean. Dies in possessor. That's what he does. He dies. He dies in a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. He's good at dying. He gets yeah. paid well for it. It's just, it's his lot. Yeah. Oh, well. All right. Yeah, I was bummed. I was hoping to have more of her in it because I love her. She's great. And mm -hmm. to have her in something a bit spookier, I thought they could have done more, especially with the character she was playing. This, you know, she was that sort of, is she real? Is she fake? The seance person? Yeah. yeah. The medium? The medium, yeah. So I thought they could have done more with that. And then yeah. the 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 big emotional swing that took me out of this movie that I was just laughing at was that diatribe in the kitchen where the guy's cutting the apple talking about his dead fiance. Yeah. That dude was like Yeah, Maxime was the character's name. Dude, he was overacting so hard. It seems like a lot of these characters had one moment where they had to tear up. Yeah. Um and for yeah, different levels tear of tear up as in go up a step or tear up as in cry. Oh, cry. Oh, because um, he does cry later on, and then Michelle Yeoh has to cry. Um, Jamie Dornan's character has a pretty good crying scene. Kenneth Branagh tears up. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I don't know. And there was different levels of um, not committing to the crying, but uh, for us, like, should you? Is this really a time for this? Is yeah. this necessary for what you're going through? I'm yeah. not sure. There were choices made that were like the first time that Maxime sees um, Rowena Drake. Yes. Like he gets, yeah. she sh he shows up with the invite and it's just immediately at a 10. Yeah. yeah like they're sure. just, oh, these yeah. are like all of me and yes. your daughter's problems. And do whatever you want, Maxine. Yeah. You always do. <laughs> Dude. Jesus. It was so like daytime soap opera. Yeah. It was. I was like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Another thing, um, less about the movie, more about the actress. Mm -hmm. I didn't know Kelly Riley was British. Um, is she? Yeah. Okay. I looked it up because at first I didn't think it was her because I well documented. I love Yellowstone. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, but that can't be her because of the accent. She's doing like a like it sounds like you actresses do accents. Yeah, it turns out flip that right. She does an amazing American right. accent. This is her native is her, accent. Yeah, yeah, right, right. So I was impressed. Yeah. by her speaking normally. <laughs> She's great. Yeah. Um, I also think there's there's a character named Olga Semenov who is played by Camille Cotton. Who, if I, I was trying to play her the whole time, and I haven't checked this, but I think she was in that movie with Matt Damon called, um, oh man, he's like a roughneck and his daughter's murdered and he has to go to a different country. Oh, like the, the Taken movie he did? No, it's not like that. That's oh. what I thought it was. You never saw it, did you? No. No, it's not like that. It is not like that at all. That movie is, it's dark, it's depressing. He never gets justice for his daughter. It's she, crazy. Hmm. It's called, um, I keep wanting to say Mudbound. That's a totally different movie. Yeah, I'm looking it up. Okay. Stillwater. Stillwater. Yep. Mud. Water. That's where she's I got that. She's in uh, that uh, she Helen, she, Helen Mirren movie. Is she? Oh, she is? That just came out. Yeah. Is she not in Stillwater? Yeah. No, oh, she is. She is. Okay, great. Uh, much different character. Here she's the she's sort of a nun who flunked out of the nunnery for falling in love with a roofer. Mm -hmm. And then felt bad because she thought the kid died on her watch. Turns out she actually poisoned the kid without knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't think that would kill you. That she, was, she cried at the end. Yeah. She's like, oh, it's my fault. Yeah. I really don't think that would have killed you. I think you would have just tripped balls for like a couple days. Well, you don't know. I mean, they're like crazy opium Mad, flowers. Mad honey's a real thing. Okay. But like she fed her a lot. She was like, here's a couple spoons. And like the mom was giving her like, uh, you know, 
a, a little nugget of crystallized honey. She was like, here's two tablespoons. So who knows? Are you figuring Oh, yeah. That? Well, you got to fill in the time because I don't know what you're doing. So you're going to have to yeah. give me a uh, prompt or fatalities something. Fatalities from mad honey are uh, very rare. Be more specific. Although fatalities are very rare, mad honey ingestion may still lead to arrhythmias, which can be life-threatening and hard to recognize. So I don't think it would have killed her. I, it might have, but I doubt it. And let me throw this out. For the purpose of telling a murder mystery story where you need someone to die of honey, yeah. couldn't you talk yourself to being that one in a million time where the sure. arrhythmia caught her and her heart stops in her sleep? Sure. Yeah. I think of all the things, that's totally plausible. I mean, we can, yeah, we could get into the weeds on this because yeah. I think she's maybe built up a tolerance. Oh, that's possible. If she's getting, you know, uh, I, it's it's so crazy that the, the motivation for this mother was that sh her daughter was falling in love and going to go with a man, and she was like, "Uh, uh, I want, I don't, can't, I can't let you go. So I'm going to poison you, Stockholm. That's not what Stockholm is, but keep you as a prisoner. Yeah, convince you that you're ill. Although she was never like conscious. There's a word for that too. It's, I think it's, it's Stockholm syndrome. Is it? Uh, yeah, I think All so. Right. Look, Google that up. Yeah. yeah. Google that up. Um, yeah, and like it seems like their relationship had deteriorated because anytime she was awake, she'd just give her more honey and she'd fall asleep mm -hmm. and see ghosts. And she's like, this is the this is what I'm preserving. I don't get that. And then when her daughter dies, she just dumps the body like, and then puts on this elaborate thing where she has orphans come over and invents this whole story about this house being haunted to like cover her tracks, even though then then the kid blackmails her why was he doing that? To help his dad pay for something? Pay the bills. Pay, just pay the That's bills. That's what he said. That's wild. There's yeah. so many twists and turns here. Yeah. <laughs> On one hand, you're like, when these movies reveal themselves, when you get the big spiel, in this case from Kenneth Branagh, it's like, whoa, I never saw that coming. And then you think about it, like, how could I see this coming? Right. Like, there's no way. It's so outlandish. None of this would be nobody. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. You don't, you don't, you can't piece this together. Uh, no. I, I, did they, is that intentional? So people don't figure it out yeah, too early. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, it is nice not seeing it come in a little bit, right? Who did you, did did you find yourself coming up with a list of suspects on your own? Like, who did you think did it? I was suspicious of the mom the whole time. Mm -hmm. Sure, but I wasn't sure why, and there was really no evidence. No, but it's like a mother would never. Therefore, right. she must. Yeah, like that's kind of it. Exactly. They're gonna go for the thing you least suspect, which in fact turned out to be the eight year old. I would have. I thought it was gonna be Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, I was like, maybe he did it. He's you know? doing. He's, he's the one I least expected. Right, as Dwight says in the office, it's never the person you least expect. It's also never the person you most expect. I might have those backwards, but it's the person you most medium suspect. <laughs> Which is, in this case, not the medium, but that would have been a nice twist as well. Right. Anyways, yeah, the kid would have been funny. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of people would have been funny. Yeah, like it's obviously not going to be her ex-fiance. Right. He's too over the top. Too over the top, and yeah. too obvious. Yeah, too much reason to. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like does this genre just wants you to have expectations and then subvert them? Yeah. It's like it's we're not going to do the obvious thing. No, which is why Knives Out was so brilliant by the way. Um God, that movie was good. It's so good and it also wasn't Ryan Johnson's first I've talked about this before. His first stab at the genre. He did like a subversion of the genre when he made Brick in 2008 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I still need to watch that. It's so good. It, it cast the whole thing in a high school basically with a drug ring and and a missing girl who was murdered and it's fantastic. That sounds fun. It's like a neo-noir crime thriller in the style of an Agatha Christie sort of whodunit, kind of. Great. I should watch that. But but Knives Out was great because it took some of these, at this point, expectations of, of subversion. Like, we know that it's whatever we've just been talking about. It's not going to be this person, this person, this person. And it twisted even that 
expectation of, of subversion into a whole new thing. Right. They subverted the subversion. Yeah. I don't think Glass Onion did that quite as well, but Knives Out nailed it. Yeah. Knives Out was great. Yeah. But Glass Onion was still fun and Daniel Craig had fun doing it. Mm-hmm. Kenneth Branagh has the same kind of fun that Craig had mm-hmm. with his giant mustache and his accent. Yeah. And like, it's just a fun Dude, role to play. We need a movie with both of them. It'd be great. Those sweaters and that mustache. It'd just be awesome. I would be so here for that. Yeah. And what if they have to figure out which one of them killed somebody? Sure. And they're investigating each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to write that fan fiction. But neither of them would do it, so it'd have to be different. Like, they'd have to be, they'd have to, they'd have to, like, be competing to solve the mystery first. Hear me out. All right. What if we get a situation kind of like Mindhunter? Okay. (laughs) Where they're trying to find a serial killer. Okay. And it's like a buddy- Detective They're on drama. the road together. Yeah. Imagine True Detective season one. Sure. But with Poirot and, sure. and, and <laughs> Poirot. Poirot. And the other guy. What's his name? Daniel Craig. Um, um, yeah. Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. Yeah. Oh, Benoit, Benoit and Poirot. <laughs> Come on. It's Poirot. Dude, but sure. This writes itself. Sure. That'd be so good. Yeah. I mean, let's workshop it. We'll write the script and we'll, we'll ship it off to David Fincher. A24. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to know about Stockholm Syndrome, yes, syndrome before yes, we wrap yes, this yes, yes, up? Yes. Um, that is actually the uh, coping mechanism to, uh, to a captor. So that's when you they develop positive love. feelings yeah. toward your captor or abuser over time. Okay, what was I trying to say? You like imprison someone because you can't let them go. Like I know there's a like – No, I'm looking for like the, the gaslighting that happens mm. between the captor and the captee. That can't be right. Captive? Yes prisoner mm-hmm. where they think they are not where they're like loving their life and i think it might be stockholm syndrome no. Like, no i'm into this no stockholm syndrome is defined by the person who was victimized feeling positive feeling towards the person who is captivated. yeah that's what i was trying to say like that's what the oh. mom was trying to get is like she's trying to keep her daughter there and like like no you love me like we're we're mother and daughter well and that which yeah. must have been what she was trying to do, but then the honey was just like so over the top that it kept her hallucinating the whole time. Like, Mom, you have three heads and one of them's a goat. Right. How do I – I can't just love you. Goat or ghost? Either one. Like a goat There's ghost? three. Maybe yeah. one's a goat. Maybe one's a ghost. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, that's the movie. That's – you know, that's – I think we're done with this. Yeah. <laughs> do you have anything else on this movie? I'm going to have dreams about that fan fiction. It's a good one. It would be so good. Yeah. But other than that, no. All right, great. Beer number two. Let's get another beer. Here comes a fun sound while we dig it out of the cellar. Okay, we got beer number two in front of us. Johnny, what is it? Vortex. It's from Fort George Brewing out of Astoria, Oregon. Again, it's an IPA of the West Coast variety. It's 7.2%. And again, this beer was gifted to us by Andy and Lori, friends of the show. Appreciate you guys. Yep. Uh, All right, from their website, we read, India Pale Ales were originally brewed strong to withstand the long voyage to India. Yeah, yeah, we know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry, everybody knows that. Today. It's Ariadne all over again. Breweries concoct IPAs (laughs) hoppy enough to make the trip back. Vortex IPA is Fort George's contribution to the IPA arms race. Brewed with generous additions of Comet, Chinook, and Simcoe hops throughout the brewing, fermentation, and conditioning phases, and balanced with heaps of pale malt. We designed Vortex IPA not to rip the taste buds off of your tongue, but rather vigorous, vigorously stimulate your palate with lupulin ecstasy. You want me to take those brewers notes? Sure. Vortex IPA is named in reverence to the tornado that nearly scattered our sweet Virginia brew system, the original pub system, among the cornfields of Nebraska while en route from Virginia 
or Virginia Beach, excuse me, to Astoria. To this day, Sweet Virginia remains a workhorse in the public house, and we continue brewing Vortex IPA as our flagship beer. Here's what's in it. Apollo, Cascade, Mosaic, and Simcoe hops as malts go, Turo, Barley, uh, Melanoidin, Munich, I'm going to say 10 liter, and it's using some London English strong beer. English, that can't be right, ESB. English style bitter. Thank you. Mm-hmm. From London. Yeast. London. I butchered that last bit. That's all right. Let's get into beer. <laughs> like uh, Jack the Ripper over here. Sure. Butcher in the streets of London. Yes, exactly what I did. Butcher in the yeasts of London. Yeasts. Uh, I don't know. So we're, getting, we're getting somewhere. <laughs> or we're getting nowhere, but it's fun. Yeah, man. Um, it's weird how many tangents we've been on for how little we've drank this week compared to a normal week. It probably makes for a better tangent. It probably does. I would the, say. The less... Or the more. The less we drink. I think so, too. Yeah. Like, we're actually saying. Oh, we're actually having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Not okay. just being, like, it's funny. <laughs> right. So, so this beer was canned on July 24th. That's about two months ago for us. So, plenty fresh. It only came from a state away and was given to us by people who. We trust. Historically, yeah. Very, very good caretakers S- of beer. They're stewards. Stewards of the craft. I love that. Okay. You've had a sip. I haven't. So, tell me about your experience. I mean, first of all, when you hear. Pale malt, immediately I'm concerned that it's going to fall into that like malty, like Sierra Nevada pale ale territory. Yep. Um, was worried about that, but man, super hoppy, like just very yeah. bitter, very dry. I think you would have to be hard pressed to find any sweet notes in this. I think they're there, but they're very, very buried underneath. You getting any red vine? No, I'm not. Weird. You? A little bit. A little bit. A little, little bit of red vine on the <laughs> I fish. found a snack in between. But yeah, sure. Um, I was going to say, yeah, no, I'm getting a little sweetness. And then I was like, no, I think that's from the piece of red licorice that I just had. <laughs> Stuck in my teeth. Trying to wash that out. Yeah. Uh, they should make a red vine beer. Mm-hmm. That'd be good. It'd be fantastic. Or yeah. disgusting, but something would, to talk about. Yeah. Really hoppy, though. Very aggressive. Super, super dry. Uh, there is no mistaking what style this is. No. It is immediately apparent. It is aggressively hoppy yep. and I enjoy it. I think it is tremendous. It drinks really light, which I find literally refreshing, but also in the context of what we had earlier, very refreshing. This is super mild on the fatiguing of the palate. There's yeah. almost nothing there. It's it's bright. It's a fairly effervescent. There's a good amount of bubbles going on. It's it's tasty, man. I'm, I'm into it. It's, it's very straightforward as a West Coast IPA, which I appreciate when I get that. Mm-hmm. So it's good. I think it would be more fair to this beer than the previous to say that it is resippable. Yeah, I would have saved that word for this beer for sure. Yep. Yeah. I can see why this is their flagship IPA. This is something if it was at the grocery store down the street, it would live in my fridge quite frequently. This is a tremendous it's, IPA. It's good. It's really good. Yeah. Man. It's um Yeah, it's up when you talk about that, I picture something very local and very stockable in a fridge you're you're totally right we this is a 16 ounce can but i wouldn't be surprised seeing this in a six pack of 12 mm-hmm. ounces do you know what beer immediately came to mind when yeah. i thought mayberry el segundo hex ah. oh really fresh hex dude man i just got some fresh cans that mm-hmm. were maybe a week old that beer is lights out when it is fresh in my brain that one's a heavier beer on the on the mouth is okay. it not i didn't think so very reminiscent of this beer. Just huh. lighter, but still hoppy and dry and punchy sure, and sure. just hits all those notes. 
Interesting. I'll bring some. We should do that for a bonus sometime because yeah, I mean, I'm seeing it super fresh in the market. Dude, it's one of those beers too that over the past maybe four years has been available all the time in Chico, both on draft and, and in cans and in bottle shops and grocery stores and everything. But it's so popular that you can kind of run the gamut with quality control because I've had it pretty old. Mm-hmm. I've had it. I've seen cans where it was being served at restaurants on like their their bottle list for like eight months old or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a, obviously a massively different drinking experience. But yeah, trying it fresh and coming at it with, um, you know, a little bit of history with the beer that we've both probably had. I'd love to do, yeah, a fresh take on it. That'd be fun. Yeah. It's a good excuse to buy a four pack of that. Also, I was at the grocery store and it was like ten ninety nine for a four pack. It's incredibly cheap. It is. Yeah. I was at the grocery store the other day, ended up buying um, a six pack of Sierra Nevada because which, which one? Uh, the Atomic Torpedo. Partially because that is the same price as pretty much everything else. I think there's a dollar difference between that and a lower ABV one. Mm-hmm. But I mean, those six packs are now I think uh, nine bucks, maybe. Mm, that sounds 10. about right. And any other six pack or four pack of of pint cans is going to be you know fourteen, fifteen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I enjoy drinking beer, different beers, and and trying new stuff and being critical about it on the show. But if I'm just sipping on stuff, I'll probably grab something relatively budget-friendly and relatively crafty, mm-hmm. then it's hard to break away from Sierra Nevada if those are your criteria. Yeah. I was just thinking I missed... I don't remember if I said this on the podcast or not. I was really missing like their brown ale. You've said this You've said this a lot on the podcast. Yeah, the but I, I went to the store, my local, my corner store, yeah. and wanted like a brown ale in a bottle. I don't know why. Uh-huh. It just felt right. Okay. Uh, they didn't have brown ale, obviously, from Sierra Nevada. Uh-huh. Went for Moose Rule. Didn't have that. They had it in cans. I was in a. I was a bottle boy okay. that day. Felt like drinking out of a bottle. Sure. Uh, found four packs of Old Rasputin. Not exactly the same thing. <laughs> nope. But it was in a bottle. And oh boy, my corner store. It's nine dollars for four bottles. Yeah, I which mean, is you can't go wrong. Nine point something on that one. Yeah. Yeah. This it's healthy. Just it, yeah, it's a big big beer. It's so good though. It's fine, dude. I've been off put, not that, I can't tangents, but I've been off put by that. The more I, uh, whatever, they're fine. But the more I go to that brewery, the less I am inclined to drink their beer. I don't, not a big fan of the brewery. I'm not either. And and truthfully, their beers, ones I've had there that I can't get regularly have not been all that impressive. Like Old Rasputin's great. Scrimshaw's great. That's it. That's it. Yep. Like that's kind of the only ones that I think. I would ever really want to regularly have. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because the the experience at the tap room really mirrors the mediocrity of their lineup. I mean, painfully but nicely put. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. true. Hurtfully but nice. I am such a stickler. I never ever send food back. Yeah, the last two times I've been there, I had to send food back, and it bums me out because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm never that guy. I've seen you be that guy a few times. You've sent a drink back. That I should clarify. Well. That's a whole nother topic. Sure. <laughs> Daddy wants his drinks. You fucked up an old fashioned. <laughs> I thought it was a gin and tonic. No, remember it was it. Um, yeah, yeah. We don't need to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they got <laughs> they took some real liberties and put. Oh, you're right. A, a black anise bitters yeah, yeah. into an old fashioned, yeah. and there was black licorice flavor in a cocktail that it shouldn't like be black in. Licorice. Like that. It's called an old fashioned because it's always been made the this old way. Come on, guys. Yeah. What are we doing? What I was going to say is this beer back to um, back to Vortex yes. reminded me of Mayberry IPA from El Segundo, such a good which beer, which I think we both gave perfect scores to. Mm-hmm. There's something about the intensity of the bitterness 
and the clean finish and drinking experience in general mm -hmm. that really does make it easy to go back for more. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a hard thing to come by, especially this relatively fresh. It's, it's tricky. And mm -hmm. I think they're nailing it here. Yeah. I mean, it's everything you want out of a brewery's flagship IPA. Like if I walked into a brewery and I talked to the bartender and they were cool and I was like, look, pour me your favorite beer. What do you mean if they were cool? Sometimes you get – Like if they're not if they're not like some nerds. Well, you know, I mean if you have a rapport and mm. like you trust them is what I oh, mean okay. when I say you're gotcha. they're cool. Like they'll shoot you straight and be like, all right, look, I want you to pour me a sample of your best seller mm -hmm. and I want you to pour me your favorite thing. Right. Maybe they'd be the same thing. Maybe. Like, you know, but this is something I would be like, okay, this is a brewery's bestseller. Mm -hmm. I can see why. Totally. This gives their whole operation credibility for me. Like, if this was the first Fort George beer I'd ever had, I'd say, well, they're on my radar. Totally. Big. Like, I have to drive all the way up to basically Washington on that little peninsula. Mm -hmm. I think it's on a peninsula. Wait, it's out Maybe. there. It's by the ocean. Yeah. Uh, and go to Astoria. So great yeah. flagship beer. Uh, I'm really, really kind of in love with it. If any, we could, I wish we could get it around here. Any downsides? Mm, that we can't get it around here. Any downsides um, with the beer? Not much. Okay. Nothing or not much? No, I'm just, I'm out of it. Let me see. Yeah, I guess that's a good, good point. I will tell you mine, which is that there is some maltiness on the backbone. Yeah. That, that dampens it a little, tamps it down, that, that, that weighs it down a little bit yeah. from being a fully freeing kind of float away on the pillows of hops kind of beer. Yeah. So it's not perfect for me, but it's it's pretty close. And they come late, like late. It does. The, it's like it does. finish to aftertaste. Mm -hmm. I agree. This feels like a beer. I'm curious as to when they first started making this because this feels like it was maybe right on that wave of the first runs of like these more modern West Coast IPAs that we talk about all the time, yeah. that like that newer flavor profile that leans more into the the balance and the juice yeah. and less of that malty finish. You know, it's like when certain, I want to say Lagunitas IPA, that uh -huh. wave of IPAs kind of died down. And then we had that more modern around like 2013, 2015, yeah, 16 in sure. there, the mid 20 teens where you had that more modern flavor come in. Yeah, I uh, could not quite find the date on a quick Google search. But, but it feels like one of the first ones that started nice. heading that way. Yep, yep, absolutely. Um, if you like more classic IPAs and you like the newer ones, I think this is kind of a best of the both yeah. worlds. But I agree with that maltiness. Uh, I think that's probably the biggest gripe I would have as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, then let's give it a rating out of 10. What you got? It's a great beer. Mm -hmm. It's a really great beer. How great is it? <laughs> 8.6. 8. 8.6. For me, it's an 8. Very good beer. Drink it again. Couldn't wait to get my hands on it if I if I could. I'm going up into Oregon in a couple weeks. Um, I, well, I don't know. I'll see if I can make a stop. And if I can, I'll get us a whole case of this. Yeah. let uh, We'll talk off air about where you're going. I might have some sure. recommendations. Yeah. I mean, you're going to stack my van full because I'm going to Bend for a couple times. <laughs> There's not as many as you would think in Bend. Crux, for sure. We're gonna, I'm playing at Crux, so for sure. But mm -hmm. um, Boneyard, I feel like we grab a couple great... That's Ben, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I like Worthy. We both like Worthy Brewing. Mm -hmm. There's a few. There is, but there's there's way more breweries than there are good breweries. I'm going to Portland. Okay. Like, if we're, I'm hitting the stops, man. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else in this beer before we move on? Uh, if you can get it, drink it. And big thanks to Andy and Lori for yep. gifting it to us. Uh, again, that's Vortex from Fort George, and we will be right back after this with Hot and Bothered. Hi, mother.
Welcome to Hot and Bothered. It's the portion of the show where we catch up on our weeks. Oftentimes that involves beer and movies that we haven't had a chance to properly review on the show. And sometimes it doesn't. But I'm not sure what it involves today. Johnny Summers, what you got? Well, no beer. Taking a little break from the old alky alky hall. Way to do it. So no beer this weekend. I've been crushing the Heineken Double Zeros. Dude, I've lost a little love for those. Do they, you drink enough of them? Then nothing changes. They taste the same. It's not like, you drink enough? Coors Light, they start tasting good. Well, for me, I, dr- I drank between Thursday and Sunday m- mid-evening. Yeah. I killed a 12-pack. They're pricey, dude. They That's so, part of the reason. Yeah. It's a $20 12-pack most of the time for yeah. that. And I have found love for, say, Old Milwaukee. That's crazy. If, I love it. <laughs> Cause, cause if I'm, you know, if you're going for a non-alcoholic beer, it's it's for the sensation, at least for me, of opening the beer and and the the psychological relief and deep breath you take, like oh, okay, and you just drink a beer, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and a macro kind of shitty lager scratches that itch. Do so, you have any here? No, I'm out. All right. Do you think I would like it, knowing what? Oh, I Oh, you've like? never had it? No. Oh yeah, you'd is like it, it malty? Ish, but not really. Okay. No, it's pretty good. It's not as clean as a Heineken. Um, and it's nowhere near some of the athletic beers we've had, which are still, I think, the upper echelon, if not the top of the food chain when it comes to these beers. But those oh, are also really pricey. That's like a $14 six-pack. Yeah. But they have so much variety. They've got a light beer that's really great. Yeah. Okay. They should make a beer <clears throat> meal that you could just put in sparkling water. Yeah. Probably um, be gross. Probably. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. All that to say, no beer. I am excited. I'm going to be trying the uh, the Guinness Zero. Very good. I've heard good it's, things. It's near indistinguishable. That's dope. It's not. I mean, you can tell, but yeah. it's very good. That makes me happy. Because they do the nitro thing. Yeah. It's awesome. Try them. Stoked to try that. Yeah. Uh, but I did watch a movie this weekend in between some USC fights and a bunch of football on Sunday. Watched Elemental, mm-hmm. the 2023 Disney film that actually just recently within the last, I'd say, week or two, yeah. dropped on Disney Plus mm-hmm. uh, and gave that a whirl. And it was just a, a feel-good time it it tackled some director what's it about uh director give me the gist okay who directed this thing directed by peter son okay it came out june 16th this year right right, on a 200 million dollar budget that's insane Mm -hmm. um in a city where fire water land and air residents live together a fiery young woman and a go with the flow guy discover something elemental how much they actually have in common all right. I don't like that pun, but I wanted to see this very badly, and I never did. We never covered it on the show. I never got around to it. Yeah. So what do you think? I dug it, man. Uh, it was super entertaining visually, stunning. Uh, the story was – it was kind of like an immigrant story. Yeah. I mean, they immigrate to Element City from mm-hmm. a land of only fire, mm-hmm. and all of a mm-hmm. sudden they're kind of the the weird people with the accent that run a store. These are the water people? Uh, fire. These are fire people. Yeah. Okay. So there's this this element of and their accent is almost. Whoa, I'm sorry. There's what element? Oh of, my god. Yep. <laughs> oh, that was an accident too. Not even on purpose. Yep. Their accent, the fire people had almost like an Eastern European kind of feel. Can't quite picture it. Can you try? No. Shoot. No. All right. Um, almost like Serbian or something like that, but okay. very much like like a shop owner in Brooklyn vibe. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, and there was We and, all know the America we're living in. I know what you're I know yeah, what you're saying. Like, like it's a very the, clear stereotype. This guy owns a bodega, there's yeah, yeah. a cat and he'll yeah. hit you with a broom. I assume he catches some flack in this new land. Yeah. Being this so guy. So they tackle big issues, you know, 
of, you know, basically racism, but it's yeah. like elementalism, I guess. Uh, and all the interactions between the different elements, it, thinly veiled yeah. commentary yeah. on racism and lots of stuff on family dynamics and, and childhood and disappointing mm-hmm. your father, mm-hmm. becoming your own person, you know, kind of formulaic for Disney in, in a lot of movies, but also told through a new lens mm-hmm. and it was, it was really entertaining. It was funny. I walked away thinking, okay, that was solid. Nice. Very good. Did it have the classic Disney Pixar gut punch? It tried. Tier, tier, it, it tried to. Didn't quite land? No. It is Disney Pixar, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. It tried to. I don't think it really. Okay. But it also didn't take as big a swing. Yeah. Okay. You know, they don't something need like, to. Something like that's... Up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Nobody needs to cry that much. Or you still haven't seen Inside Out, have you? No. Which one is that? It's the best one. And you'd remember it if you'd seen it. Okay. It's great. Takes a big swing, lands, Oof. knocks it out of the park. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's probably a nice sign of restraint that you don't always have to try to hit a grand slam with these emotional gut punches, you know? I think it maintained enough of that throughout the film where like the stakes, emotional yeah. stakes were kind of high the whole time that it really created that atmosphere mm-hmm. and it didn't really need to to take a big swing, which sure. it's just fine. I'm good with that. Great. So I liked uh, it. Out of 10. Out of 10, honestly, it was like a 7.5. All right. Do you have that on your letterbox yet? No. All right. Are you going to put it on your letterbox? I don't know. Otherwise, you're going to forget that you've seen it because it will not be in our uh, episode title, okay. probably. And then we'll get to the end of the year, and you're like, what movies have I seen this year? And Elemental will be sadly off the list. Right. I'll log it as soon as we're off the air. Uh, I don't have much, man, by way of by way of uh, normal stuff that people would care about. I've been playing a lot of shows, just kind of grinding away. I've had a couple days off here. Um, I do want to give a shout-out to our buddy Nick Land, patron, friend of the show, who five years ago helped me fund going on tour. He gave me a donation in exchange for me covering a, and making a video for a song of his choice. The song he chose is Ice Ice Baby, and I didn't do it. And today we properly started the... Uh, you know, the the project. And what we did today was record all the percussion. Five years? More or less. Maybe four. Oof. He's a very patient man. He um, forgot. No, he didn't. He's never forgotten. He's he just brought very, it up? All the time. And I have no excuse except to say I'm sorry, and we started it. So what we did was we laid down the percussion. If you're not familiar with the tune somehow, it there's like a, like a classic, like, 90s, almost like It's Tricky by Run DMC, the kind of hi-hat. And and like the kicks there's like doom get goom goom got goom got ice ice baby right so we did all the percussion today and we recorded those sounds using ice so he took it in right where you're sitting now it's a, a queen sample right uh yeah it's from under pressure yeah but not ours ours is uh, an ice queen sample nice. I am the ice queen and he was scraping a knife on a block of ice to get the and then we went in the garage and we took a whole bag of ice and slammed it on the ground to get the snare sound. Nice. And we use the deep freeze out in the garage to like open and close to get the kick. So we've got like the three major components of the percussion. And you just put them on the computer. So I'm going to put them into a sampler and and build out the drum beat and then do all the parts. And then in a week or two, Nick's going to come back, um, maybe with you. He, he mentioned your name and a couple other people to do all the background vocal parts, like the Beachfront Avenue. And we're going to yes. do all of that. And then I unfortunately have to wrap Ice Ice Baby all right, stop. And put it on the internet. Yeah. Collaborate <laughs> and listen. Yeah. There's Max a lot of is back with a brand new mission. Uh, invention, actually, is what it is. You could change it. I could, but I won't. Okay. True to that guy's <laughs> artistic vision. <laughs> uh, no, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, yes. I've put it off, I think, for 
you know, social reputational type reasons, but now I'm going to have to put it on the internet and I'll let the chips fall where they may. I mean, that's a smart move for a guy that started a band called Skies Out, Thighs Out. To get the attention. Self-respect is out the window. That's a good point. Put that fucking cover out, dog. I know. So that'll be happening Damn. soon. So that was a shout out to Nick. Other than that, just kind of been chugging along, doing my thing. That's, that's what exciting. I got. You got I'm anything gonna, else? I'm going to make a donation to your next tour so you cover a song I want. Oh, I'm never doing that again. And I did that already. I did yours with the Coheed song, and yeah. I made the video for it. I want another one. I'm never doing it again. It's too, I keep, no, All I can't right. do it. I keep letting people down or taking too long. You've never let me down. Well, thanks, man. So on that note, the show wouldn't be what it is without the uh, constant affirmation that I give people for fulfilling my promises. Yep. Uh, of course, thanks to Bailey Minardi, who I saw this past week at St. Mary's. There's another shout out for Music on the Lawn. That was super fun. Um, and a big shout out to everybody on Patreon. We sure appreciate the shit out of you. It, it helps us keep the show going. We had a great bar hang where we spent uh, too much money on too few people, but it was great because uh, we all had a few, well, most of us had a few beers. Great night. Had a little bit of food. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Patreon's great. Um, the handlebars are great. It's where the bar hang happened. It's why we advertise with them. They're a great place. Go check them out. And my name is Max Minardi. My name's Johnny Summers. Be sure to drink some tasty beers, pet your cats, and love each other. Ooh, ooh. Next week on the show. I oh, yeah. Uh, just in case you want to stay current with us, um, we're seeing a movie that drops this weekend. So the day you're hearing this, it's in theaters. It's called It Lives Inside. Um, it's from director Bashal Duda. It's a horror movie proper um, about a versus this, which is like a horror movie kind of. Um, about a young girl who, after a falling out with her best friend, unleashes a demon that thrives and feeds on her loneliness. It's going to be a fucking fun time. Sweet. And this was your pick. It was my pick. It looks like it's got the potential to be a very fulfilling, artistically fulfilling movie. Uh, and, and cinematically probably pretty good. It's from a director that I've never heard of. Um, could be, could be great. Could be terrible, but I don't think it will be. It looks good. So I've got high hopes. Again, um, that's It Lives Inside. It drops in theaters this weekend. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did want to tell people that. On that note, see you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.